passage in Job is always an intriguing passage, troubling and intriguing. The idea that God would permit such a thing to take place. And yet, if I had an opportunity to teach the book of Job here in this church, we would see something taking place in Job's life that we don't get to observe anywhere else in Scripture. That is, the transformation of Job's faith and his growing knowledge of resurrection. It's a fascinating thing to watch. This morning, our text comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Three verses, um, but packed with a lot that we can draw from. It's tied in with this passage in Job. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I'm going to throw in verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the truth of your word and the revelation of your word, the things that are shown to us that we would not ordinarily determine or figure out or see. We pray that you'd illumine our heart and mind and the page that we may learn well and grant to us grace that we'd be transformed. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. About a month and a half ago, I was out bicycling to the north here. I like to get out, and I, as the weather was warming up, I like to get out in the heat. Now, that's a St. Louis boy, okay? So take that for what it is. But I'm out bicycling, and I'm on, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what road I was on. I, I was just up there, and I was between cornfields. And I'm out there, and I'm coming up over the hill, and as I get over the hill, all of a sudden... I see there's a coyote in the middle of the road. This is 1.30 in the afternoon. And I stopped, and I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, okay, this is new. I don't know what to do with this. I mean, I've walked into a den of water moccasins. And I thought, yes, this is dangerous, but I know what to do. Turn around, back out, you know, do something like that. I, I've, I've walked into a situation where there was a guard dog and his teeth were bared at me. I've I, never had I been in anything like this before. And so I'm looking at this coyote in the middle of the road and I'm wondering, all right, there's danger here maybe. Is he rabid? What's he doing out here? Why is he in the road? Why is it the middle of the day? I mean, all these questions. What, what's going on here? And then I started asking the question, what if it was something else, you know, like a lion or a tiger or a bear? I've been in a situation where I've 
been in the woods with a bear. So I was kind of befuddled. The good fortune was I was wearing this bright highway orange shirt, and the critter took one look at me and thought, what is this? I've never seen this before. And he backed off and ran into the, into the fields, and I didn't see him after that. But the question is, what if it was a lion? You know, there have been situations where lions have uh, escaped from zoos and were wandering around in city parks. That would be a dangerous situation. You would hope that the lion was not hungry and that you weren't going to be turned into prey. The fact is that we have an enemy which is far more dangerous than a mere coyote, far more dangerous than an earthly flesh and bone lion, We have an adversary who is a lion who wants us as prey. He wants our souls as prey. It's not imagination. It's not Wolfgang Goethe's story of of Faust. It's real. There is an adversary that wants your soul. He wants your soul as prey. And we are told that he prowls about like a roaring lion looking for somebody to take down. And so what the scripture does is Peter teaches us, or the Holy Spirit teaches us through Peter, that we have some actions we can take that will preserve and protect our souls. Okay, first thing. Grandparents and parents, pay attention to this. Your kids are in danger. This is not theoretical. This is not abstract. And it's not somewhere in some far-off place like Central Africa where they don't have enough sociological light or something. It's here, it's now, and it's in your face. Men, pay attention. You have an adversary, the devil, and he wants to take you down. I was talking to my coach this last week. He said, I've just learned of yet another minister who was taken down by public sin. The adversary prowls about like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Anyone. That's why we must guard our hearts and we must pay attention to what we are told in this place, in this passage. Now, the context in this passage is, watch out, you know, you're suffering for the, for the name of Christ Uh, There are people who don't like you. There are people who uh, would like to uh, take away your home or to drive you out of town. And there are people who are saying, you know, we don't really like going through this. Is this really worth it? And Peter says, watch it. There's more here than merely bad circumstances. You have an enemy who is looking to take you down. 
Sometimes we look at our personal situations and we say, these are just bad circumstances. These are just this is bad luck. And Peter says to you, watch out. You have an enemy that wants to take you down. If you profess the name of Christ, you have an enemy who hates you because he hates God. He hates Jesus Christ. And he wants to take you down. Therefore, we need to pay attention to what Peter says. So in this passage, we've got three exhortations. Three exhortations. Uh, First, be sober and be on the alert. Secondly, resist him. Thirdly, be encouraged and wait. Those are our three exhortations. Let me work through them just very briefly this morning. The first one is be sober and be on the alert. Be sober-minded, watch your, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In order to be alert to attack, we somehow need to think about it ahead of time. And that's really the purpose of a sermon like this, is it's to help us to think about it ahead of time. C.S. Lewis says this, We don't actually think about courage the moment that we are in danger. Because the moment when we are in danger, we react to what we understand. We have to think about courage ahead of time. What is courage? What's it going to require of me? What kinds of things are going to confront me that are going to be that are going to need courage at that moment. There are many things that we need to deal with and think about and reflect on and consider before they happen so that when the moment is upon us, we respond out of what we know. We respond out of what we understand. The same thing goes for temptation and resisting the attacks of the evil one. We must reflect and prepare well before the attacks occur so that when the moment comes upon us, we are ready to respond. We are ready to to resist. You are most susceptible when your guard is down. You are most receptible when your guard is down. And therefore, we are to be sober and be on the alert. What, what is it that we're being told here? Well, our enemy is cunning. He's a cunning enemy. In fact, there was a Puritan who wrote uh, a book uh, entitled Precious Remedies Against Satan's De- Devices. 200 pages. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. 200 pages. The first thing I have to say this is that a, a, the devil cannot possess a true child of God. The devil cannot possess a true child of God. Once you are given the Holy Spirit and you are sealed for the courts above, there's no power that can overcome that. None. And so my first question to you is, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Have you been born from above? Because that's the first thing. That's your first defense. And if you haven't been born again, if you haven't come to know God as personal Savior, to where you've been brought into the household of God and been made a child of God, 
let me appeal to you, don't let this day or this morning go by without doing that, without submitting yourself to the Lord and asking him to make you his child. But even after we are his children, the devil knows how to use his devices in order to trip us up, to make us ineffective, to set us on a dry, dusty shelf and make us useless. He knows how to do all those things. C.S. Lewis also makes this interesting comment in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, the best path for leading somebody into the pit of hell is the easy path, the gentle path, the slowly descending path from which there is comfort and security and ignorance and death. It's easy enough to get us on that path if we're not careful. So I want to just go through some of the devices that the devil uses in order to entrap us, in order to get us on a path where we are out of accord with what we should be as God's children. Obviously, he uses temptation. When we don't manage our own passions and we don't manage our own uh, desires, the, the evil one stirs that up. And our desires can be anything. It could just be, you know, just enough to want to assert ourselves as just better than the next guy to where we share a story that is not necessarily true. But it makes, it makes us look better. It makes us look like we're you know, pretty good people. So we need, to, we need to remember that temptation is a really subtle thing, and we need to always be guarding our hearts before the Lord. Testing, just the testing and the trial. I mean, that's what Job went through, right? The first test was the loss of his family and the loss of his goods. The second test was the loss of his health and the overwhelming sorrow of his wife. A sifting. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. Sifting is to be set through a bunch of circumstances that kind of dishevel your thought and leave you a little bit disoriented. That's what Peter went through when he denied Christ three times, denied uh, knowing him. Inserting doubts, doubts about the goodness of God, doubts about the mercy of God, doubts about the unswerving faithfulness of God. Sometimes we'll be threatened with destruction. During the time that the church was first being established, there was a demand that people would burn just a little bit of incense to Caesar and they would be let go. Otherwise, they'd just be thrown into the arena with the lions and be put to death. Feelings of foolishness, feelings of fear are devices that the evil one will use in order to trap us to move us to the shelf where we're useless. The tendency to be legalists. I've got all the laws in place, and I'm keeping them, and I'm doing great. Or the tendency towards licentiousness. 
I'm at liberty. I can do as I well please. And there's no consequences because Jesus is going to take care of me. Accusing you. In Zechariah, the evil one looks at Joshua the high priest and says, Look at him! Look at him! He's dirty! He's filthy! What do you, what do you, why is he even the high priest? And the angel says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Deceiving. Various ways that he deceives us. Making a sin a small thing. Making God a small thing. Or making God someone like yourself that is not great and holy. Making God appear to be an option. A nice option. Among other options. But just a nice option. Inserting complacency. That's a really good one in a church. I don't care. And I don't care whether or not I care. And I don't care about my complacency about my complacency. Another good one is this. I'm retired. I've done my time. The fact is, does anybody actually retire from the kingdom of God? I don't think so. He incites us into wrongful action, doing things that God has not um, approved. The evil one is looking for prey. He's just looking to take you captive, looking to make you useless, looking to make you even a device yourself. We need to be watching for the lion who is after us. There are these great film clips of the wildebeests on the Serengeti Plain in Africa. And as they are migrating, they're migrating in this very, very large circuit around the Serengeti Plain. And there's one film clip of three lions that come upon the wildebeests and start running back and forth in between the wildebeests. And all they're attempting to do is to separate one that is weak or one that doesn't know what to do, that's that's confused, that's foggy. And as soon as that one is separated, they pounce. They, They divide off the unsuspecting or the weak, and they take them down and turn them into prey. That's exactly what the evil one tries to do with us. It's one of the reasons why the scriptures say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, that we may, that we may um, be strengthened in the Lord. We are called to be sober and to be on the alert, to learn about how the evil one seeks to separate us, pull us apart, to, um, to take down someone who is unsuspecting. Another part of that film clip, however, helps us to understand what it means to resist the evil one. The wildebeests, when they were attacked, if they were aware of what was going on, would suddenly form groups in a circle where they were back to back and they took their horns and they put them outward, basically building a defensive wall so that as the lions came up, the lions could not get in through the defensive wall without being gored. 
there was a mutual defense among the wildebeests, knowing that as they stayed together and they defended themselves from what was going on on the outside, they were protected on the inside. That's why we are told, resist him. Firm in your faith, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the solution. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was being tempted in the desert, said, Be gone, Satan, be gone, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. That turns out to be the way of resistance. We need to draw together. This, this is one of the reasons why prayer is such a significant thing. Not individualized, oh, I can pray at home in the kitchen, or I can pray at home in the garage while I'm doing something else. No, gathering together with prayer, where we sit back to back against the enemy and we pray outward and defend ourselves from that sort of attack, those sorts of things. The appeal is we pray, we draw near to God together, we cleanse our hands together, we purify our hearts together, because we're all in it together. And that's how we resist. When somebody wants to come up and challenge something that God has said or challenge something about how you understand God to be expecting you to behave, you you respond the way that Jesus responded to his beloved Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We call one another to faithfulness so that we may resist the evil one. This is not a lone ranger kind of thing. It never has been. It never will be. Together, we resist the evil one. We need to be firm in our faith. That's what he says. Resist him firm in your faith. Do you know... There is a lion that is prowling around seeking us as prey. But there is another lion. A lion who's greater. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion who came and became the Lamb of God. And is now the lion and the lamb seated upon the throne. The lion who will bring all things under submission to God and execute God's warfare. The lion of the tribe of Judah who defends us against all marauders and all those who would turn us into prey. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of God's eternal covenant. And you need to be firm in your faith, looking to Jesus. Jesus, your defense. Jesus, your refuge. Jesus, your shield. Jesus, your sword. Now look, beloved, this is a common experience. It doesn't just happen to people in a small town or people in a city. It happens everywhere in the world where there are true Christians, which is why we pray for the persecuted church. That's why we pray for the advance of the church in various countries. 
It's why we have a concern for those things. The minute we start thinking that our salvation is some little individualized thing and it's all about me and how I feel today and whether or not I feel stable before the Lord, you become prey. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, especially as the day draws near. And so because this experience is common, we must draw close to one another in prayer and mutual encouragement. Listen to what God says here then. After you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What it says is that you're not ever going to suffer. What it says is after you have suffered for a little while. Paul says it differently in another place. If you're really following Christ, you're going to suffer. You will suffer. You will suffer through temptation. You will suffer through trial. You will suffer because that's what this life is. It's broken and it's suffering. And we either stand for holiness and stand for that which is right and good, or we just kind of cave into it and float our merry way and become like dead fish who float down the stream. After you have suffered for a little while, God himself will strengthen you. God himself will establish you. That suffering made Christ a glorious Savior, and it made him a glorious King, worthy of an inheritance that he bestows on all of his people. And that suffering that we go through makes us glorious in Christ as we look to Christ as we stand against temptation to the best of our ability, as we resist the things that would pull us into complacency. After we have suffered for a while, a little while, a small while, and in Peter's case, he's talking about these people who have lost homes or lost their church or or, or lost many other things. Each one of us kind of knows what that feels like in our own lives right now here this day. After you've suffered for a little, the God of all grace, there's no grace that that God will not extend to you at your time of need. There's no grace that God will not give you in the face of your temptation, in the face of your resistance. He who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you. He'll restore you to, what, a position of acceptance in the culture? No, he will restore you to confidence in him. God, in fact, does sometimes leave us into situations in which we are tested in order to show our own carnal nature and its weakness but he will restore us. He'll strengthen us in Christ. He will firmly plant us on Christ so that we stand on him and are firm in him, that we defend ourselves in him. He establishes us in the covenant, knowing that that covenant is unswerving love to us. He strengthens us. He confirms us as his children. That's what God does. He says to you, 
You've been like my son. You've undergone difficulty, suffering, trial, temptation. And I establish you and you are mine. And I will not let you go. I will not leave you and I will not let you go. And so, beloved, let us wait and anticipate what God will do. Let us look to the lion of the tribe of Judah and resist the lion who would turn us into prey, firm in our faith. And may we know the presence and the strengthening and the confirmation and the establishment of a God who loves us, a God who knows our circumstances, a God who, is all, who has all grace to be, able to, to be able to provide for us in that, even if it brings us to the day of death. He's a God of all grace who will give us our grace at the time of need. Look to him and him only. Resist the evil one. Don't fall into that easy path by which you are led astray. But rather, follow the lion of the tribe of Judah and resist the lion who would like to turn you into prey. Let's pray together.